0: So we are beginning tonight a new study that will be apologetics-centered, which is a study of the defense of the Christian faith. And we are calling it Truth and Apply. Now, what we're going to be learning is how what we can know can impact how we can live. And by... Learning certain truths about what it is that you believe, that can actually not only transform your life, but transform others. I think the difficult part about learning more things in apologetics, learning more things about the defense of the Christian faith, is that you often feel like it's too heady, not applicable, and it's not relevant. Now, as soon as you leave high school, you immediately see how many people have questions that are directly related to the things that we cover. And so I think it's really important that we learn those things. But I don't want to just fill your heads with head knowledge. I want to show you how it's applicable. So what we're going to be doing is this series is going to be unique in that we're going to have a topic. Each topic is going to cover two weeks. One week will be a proof. And the following week will be an application of that proof in the word of God. So for instance, the first topic we're going to cover is next week, we're going to learn about how the universe is designed. We're going to see that philosophically. We're going to see that through science. And then the following week, we're going to see what that means for us as believers. And what are we designed for? What does the scriptures say about how we are designed and what that means for our lives? We're going to do the same thing with miracles. I'm going to show you scientific evidence that talks about miracles I know, it sounds strange, like how do you scientifically prove a miracle? Well, I'm going to show you scientific facts, and then the philosophical conclusion may or may not lead to this was a miracle, no, this was not a miracle. And then we're going to look the following week after that at at the miracle stories in the Bible and how if our God is a God of miracles, how we can expect the miraculous today and what that looks like and how we can apply that to our lives. So I think you're going to find this really, really interesting but I think you'll also find it very, very applicable. At least that's what I'm hoping and what I'm praying. But tonight what we're going to do is we're going to start off by addressing this topic. I'm going to show you a video that came out uh, two days ago, I think, by this guy named Neil deGrasse Tyson. Now, anyone know who that is? It's a scientist. He's agnostic. He came out the video two days ago. And as of today, it has... million views. Anyone see this video yet? Okay, so we're going to start off with a video. After the video, I'm going to come back and talk about it. We'll read a scripture and we'll begin our study tonight. So Nick, why don't you roll the video? You can hit the lights. Thanks. So interesting. What do you think about that, right? What do you make of that? Some of you are kind of like, you're going into it as a skeptic, like he's going to say something terrible, and then by the end of the video, you're like, I don't know if I disagree with anything. Some of you are like, oh, he's wrong, everything, yep, there's no such thing as truth, right? You just, you want to disagree with everything he says, and so how do you even like decide? It reminds me of what Pontius Pilate said to Jesus, what is truth? Now, with this particular scientist, you can see that he's a little passionate about it, right? And the reason is because in our day and age, we are living in what is called a post-truth era, or at least it would seem to be, where people are getting beyond truth. And so there are people like Neil deGrasse Tyson that are hitting the panic button. They don't know what to do because it seems like the things that they're vying for are not being listened to. They're not being heard. And if they're not being heard, there's nothing else to do. How is it that people seem to be escaping from what they call truth or what they call facts, right? And so where he lands in trouble is when you practice something called scientism, which means that science is the only kind of truth that exists. And science can determine everything. That's what he eventually basically says at one point, right? He says it's the best thing that we have. It's the most effective thing we have in order to find out what is true and what is not true. Now, we would agree that science is a way, a means of discovering truth, but it is not the only way that we discover truth. History is not scientifically proven, yet we know that's true. There are things that you and I believe in our everyday lives that we can't prove scientifically. In fact, the sentence only things that can be verified through science are true is itself not a scientific statement. How do you verify a statement like that? Now, What's going to happen is you're going to leave and this message, is especially for those of you that are seniors, you're moving on to college because you're going to encounter conversations like this all the time and you're going to have to know how is it that you sift in our day and age what is true and what is false because if something is true, he's right. You have to believe it whether you like it or not. You can say, I don't believe in gravity and jump off a cliff and guess what's going to happen? You're going to fall. And so... There are certain truths that if we ignore it, it can be dangerous. And so we would say even to the person who is a skeptic, a person who is not a believer in Jesus, that if it is true, if it is true that God exists, to ignore the most powerful being in the universe can also be dangerous. If we're worried about climate change, as many people are, if we're worried about evolution not being taught in school, as many people are, If we're worried about those kinds of things, how much more if an infinite being who created mankind exists and to ignore that truth? I think we'd be all in a very dangerous situation. And for more reasons than just ignoring him and ignoring his worship, but also it's in detriment to us because we are misusing our lives and ignoring the purpose for which we were created. But look in Acts chapter 17. I want to read you a verse first in Verse 10 of Acts chapter 17, verse 10. Paul and Silas, you know, the book of Acts is an account of the early church, and it's written by a doctor named Luke who was a historian who was following Paul the apostle on his journeys, and it says, then the brethren, in verse 10, immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea, and when they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. These were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica, in that they received the word with all readiness and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. I love that because here what you find is there are certain people that they are preaching to and they didn't just take their word for it. And you've heard Lloyd say this, you've heard me say this, I'll say it again. Don't just take my word for it. Just because I'm up here with a microphone doesn't give me any more authority, doesn't mean that I'm any more right than any of you. Unless God himself has put me here and this is his word. And all I'm doing, I'm not speaking on my own authority. I'm going to tell you this is what I think. I'm telling you this is what God himself has said. And that you should, at some point in your life, come to terms with. Is this the word of God or is it not? Now, if it is, then we should obey it. And if it's not, then what are we doing? Then we're just wasting our time. We're just listening to some guy who's half Asian, half Jewish, kind of a weird looking dude. Shouldn't even be talking to teenagers if he's 28 years old and God doesn't exist. But he's here. And he spent his time here. The fact of the matter is, we believe that God has spoken in history. And that's why we're here. And so our job is not to just sit in and just soak it in. But actually ask, okay, how do I know that's true? When I say something and you disagree with it, we should talk about it. Don't just take my word for it. Find out for yourself. Because if God himself does love you and wants to speak his truth to you, He's not going to just ask for you to believe things just because the guy says so. He's going to want you to know that you know that you know. Have assurance in your heart that he's real and he has a plan for your life. So why don't we pray and we'll continue on in our study tonight. And Lord, we pray you'd help us to examine truth. To know what it is that you are speaking to your church to us, Lord. So that when we leave this place, we're not just accepting whatever dogma people pass down to us. Whatever people say. But we examine for ourselves and that we know, we have assurance in our hearts that you exist. That you love us. You care for us and you have a plan for us. You have a mission that we are to accomplish. Be with us tonight, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. It was C.S. Lewis who said, Good philosophy must exist if for no other reason because bad philosophy needs to be answered. Now, philosophy just meaning like a way of thinking, right? So, in order to have a good understanding of what it is that we believe, that is necessary because there is so much bad understanding out there. In order for us to understand good things, sometimes we need to see the bad things. Like, I definitely don't believe that. And by seeing that, it helps us to, to solidify, okay, what is, what is it that I actually believe? Why am I here? Why am I a Christian? Is it because I've been told this all my life? Is it because I had an emotional experience? Is it because I read the Bible and it spoke to me? Is it because I could verify this, not just philosophically, but scientifically? And this seems like the uh, most reasonable conclusion. We need to come to our own answers so that we're able to answer other people's questions. I only started getting really into philosophy and theology because I had a philosophy professor in college who just annoyed me to death. Because he would just say things, and I never, I, like watching that video, like some of you may have... Had that experience just now not knowing like if you could trust anything he's saying so you just have a, a like a defense wall up but then they start to say some things that are true and then you're like well um does that mean that maybe this guy is trustworthy i listen to some things that he says and we're not sure how to sift for ourselves what is true and what is not true so i had to bring in an apologetics textbook with me to my classes literally And I would, like, everything he said, I would just, like, look at it and just, like, verify within the Apologetics textbook to see whether or not, like, I was supposed to combat what he was saying. And what I found out is my philosophy professor wasn't an angry atheist. He was just a great professor and caused me to think for myself. And good teachers will cause that for you. They're not just going to tell you what to believe, but they're going to allow you to think for yourself. And so kind of like in the same way, that's what I did. Is I brought in a textbook and I was just kind of like, is this true? I don't know. Like maybe that's true, maybe that's not. And I examined for myself and you should be doing the same. Whenever I say stuff up here, don't just take my word for it. Find out for yourself. And the culture that we're living in is getting increasingly biblically illiterate, hostile, and post-Christian. From 2013 to 2015, according to the Barna Research Group, the percentage of Christians who qualify as post-Christian rose by 7%. So that's a lot of words that you may not be familiar with. Post-Christian is a person who does not believe in God. He may identify as atheist or agnostic. Has not prayed to God in the last year. Has never made a commitment to Jesus and disagrees the Bible is accurate. So a person who doesn't really have any understanding of what the Bible teaches... This is a post-Christian person, and and the world that we live in is getting more and more unfamiliar with what Christians actually believe. And so because of this, now Christians are stereotyped because of what they see in media, what they see on, um, you know, the news, what they see in movies. And they think, oh, that must be what a Christian is. Now, you and I know what this is like. I know what this is like because whenever I tell people I go rock climbing... Usually the first thing that people say to me is, "Oh my gosh, that sounds so dangerous! You climb without a rope? Oh my goodness!" And in their mind, they think that I'm climbing climbing like a thousand foot cliffs without a rope, and I would fall to my death. You're crazy, man! I'm like, I'm not crazy. Like everything I'm doing is pretty safe. I climb boulders that are 15 feet tall. If I fall, I'll twist my ankle. That's it, right? But this is a stereotype people have. It's either that, or they think I'm going to climb. Have you climbed Mount Everest? It's not that kind of climbing. That's like hiking. It's completely different you guys know what it's like whenever you travel to different states they're like oh you're from joysey oh oh like the the joysey shore i saw that show once right and they stereotype you and now you could do one of two things you could say okay you're free to believe whatever you think man okay but you probably will not do that like all right let's have a conversation new jersey is a lot more than being tan there's pork roll and lots of bacon. Right? You would, you would defend the fact that people have an inaccurate view of what New Jersey is. And you would want to bring the good news of New Jersey to these people. They are so poorly confused that they think New Jersey is terrible. Now, if that's true about very minuscule things, how much more so about Christianity? People have assumptions. You hate gay people. You're intolerant. You only believe what you believe based on where you live and where you grew up and your family and whatever. But if you can explain to somebody what you believe in an intelligent manner and speak from experience, people might actually be like, wow, I never saw it that way. Because I know this because I've had those conversations myself. Is When I present it to somebody, people will often say, I've never heard it explained like that before. William Lane Craig, who's a philosopher, a Christian, says this. If Christians could be trained to provide solid evidence for what they believe and good answers to unbeliever's questions and objections, then the perception of Christians would slowly change. Christians would be seen as thoughtful people to be taken seriously rather than emotional fanatics or buffoons. The gospel would be a real alternative for people to embrace. You see, many people, do not they're not Christians. They don't come to church and they don't believe in God not because they hate god or whatever it's simply because they don't think it's actually an option when we talk about christianity they think it's like the same thing as like believing in zeus or believing in one of 30 million gods in hinduism or whatever but when you set it apart and you say no this is actually very different than all those other religions people say this is an actual option that i can either embrace or i can reject this is what paul the apostle did when he went to Athens in Rome. We're going to be reading verses 16 through the end of the chapter. Seeing what Paul did after he left Berea, he talked to certain people that examined the scriptures for themselves, who were Jews at the time, who needed to be brought into Christianity. They knew the Old Testament scriptures, but Paul was citing scripture to bring them to Jesus. Now he was going to people that didn't know God of the Bible at all. And this is what happens in verse 16. He went ahead of Silas and Timothy, and it says, now when Paul waited for them at Athens, Silas and Timothy, it says, his spirit was provoked within him when he saw that the city was given over to idols. So we see here that Paul's heart was grieved at the idolatry around him. I wonder how many of us, if we, well, let me, let me describe the picture first. So Paul is going to Athens, Right? This is a center in Greece. This is a center where people would discuss all kinds of philosophical issues, worship all different kinds of gods. This was a center of art where people would bring so many of their masterpieces and poems and Plato was from here. Aristotle was from here. So many of what was kind of like the, the epicenter of so much art and production was here at Athens. And Paul is looking around, not amazed. I mean, if we went to the most beautiful city in the world today, most of us would be like, oh, my goodness, that's great. Like, I went to Tokyo once. There's TV screens everywhere. It just blew my mind, right? If you went to somewhere that was amazing, most of us would, like, take it all in and be like, wow, this is, this is pretty cool. But him going to a pagan city, he was grieved. Here it says that he was distressed in his spirit. And I wonder how many of us, if we allowed Paul into our conversation, into our social circles, what would Paul's reaction be about the things that we talk about most of the time? How would he take it in? Would he be grieved? Would he be distressed? Would he be seeing a lot of adultery even in our, in our own lives? Maybe we don't worship actual statues or images. But there are things that we are giving value to that occupy the majority of our time that are not pleasing to God. I was, uh, the other day I was watching uh, Easter service at a church I won't name, but it was one of the cooler hipper churches that they go like, you know, to the nines when it comes to TV screens and lights and all that stuff, which is cool, really cool. And I was watching because I was kind of interested in what they were doing. I want to get some ideas and whatever. And I would probably not do most of the things of the way they do it because it's just so much and so extravagant. And people are worshiping. Thousands and thousands of people are there worshiping. It's cool. But at the same time, because you guys do this too, we multitask, right? So it's not just you're watching one thing, you're watching like five things and doing your homework and listening to your parents, of course, because they're yelling at you from the other room or speaking to you nicely. And I was simultaneously on CNN and the front page, this was the day that uh, there was another bombing in Syria. There's a photographer that picked up one of the, the children that was affected by the bomb and he was rushing him. He dropped his camera equipment and just try to rush, rush to save this child. And I was looking at both of these things at the same time and there was just a part of me that was just like, is this really what Christian, being Christian is all about in the 21st century? Like, is this it? Now, I'm not saying any of that's bad. I'm not saying that going to particular churches, I mean, we're in a megachurch, okay? So I can't criticize ourselves like that. But there has to be more that Christians do other than occasionally one or two people is inspired to go to Syria by themselves and like witness the people and try to like do humanitarian projects. But then we come back and we're in our safe space, right? We have so much money, we have so much food. Like my most difficult decision in a day is figuring out what I'm gonna eat. Where many people, they're trying to figure out how to survive. And so for me, it's just like, is this really, this is really my biggest struggle in life is like finding out who I'm gonna marry, My biggest struggle in life is figuring out where I'm going to go to college or what I'm going to do in the future. Some people don't even have a future. So for me, I was just like burdened. I'm like, Lord, what is it that you would want me to do with so much opportunity? I could fly wherever I want at any point in time. I have enough money to take care of myself. What is it that you would want me to do? So then I thought about it. I was like, well, I could get up and I could like be a missionary. I could go there, right? I could sell all that I have and be a missionary in Syria. Realistically, though, i would probably die I mean, i'm just serious right like if i went there today can you imagine i'm a wimp i was just and within five minutes i would probably i would probably preach the gospel and within five minutes i'm just dead because i don't know what to do i don't know how to survive i can't even cook for myself i'm a helpless human being <laughs> so then i thought well i could probably study for a couple years right learn the language This is all like within a matter of a minute, but this is literally what's happening in my head. I'm not making this up. So I thought maybe I could like raise enough money, I could study the language, and then I could go. And maybe if within with enough prayer, there could be a a revival. Like, wouldn't that be cool? I go there and like the entire country gets saved. That'd be awesome. But realistically, it's probably not gonna happen. So, what in the world can I do besides just raising awareness from my comfortable chair, my comfortable air conditioned apartment in America? And then I thought, goodness gracious, I can do something which is probably more effective than me actually getting up and leaving. Some people should, but at least for me. And that is prayer. Right? If we intelligently pray for God's kingdom and his will to be done in Syria, in Iraq, as it is in heaven, God can do more through prayer than me just selling all that I have and just getting up and going. Now, he does call some people to do that. But at least for me, like, imagine if all of us were united in prayer for specific countries. And we said, we want, our hearts are going out for those people that are living lives, that are enslaved to sin. People, like people in ISIS, they're enslaved to sin. They're enslaved to deception. And we want to see them be freed. There's actually, I, I saw a testimony of a guy who was actually a former, uh, hired by the FBI to go in and solve these cases. And all he would do is he would pray. It's crazy. Like, you'd have to listen to it to believe it, but he, like, taught at this church. Now, like, could be making this up, but it seems legit, okay? So this guy, literally what would happen is he would be a detective, he would go around the U.S. solving cases by just praying and be like, Lord, show me where that kidnapped person is. And, and a car would drive by, and then the Holy Spirit would be like, it's in the trunk. And then he'd pull over the car and, then, like, rescue the kid. And so he was so successful that one of the head FBI guys, like, called him into his office it was just like, so how are you doing this? It was like, here's my strategy. I look up the worst crime bosses in our city. I get dinner with them. I preach the gospel to them. They get saved, and they tell me where all the, the money is and all the drugs are. Like, really? And they're like, yeah. It's like, could you do that in Iraq? It's like, sure. So he got sent to Iraq to convert Muslim people, and that's how they disarmed him. Like, you can't just fight them with bullets. You have to fight them with the gospel. And by them coming to know Jesus, now their hearts are transformed by love. And now they're like, they're fine. right? That's what he was doing. That's amazing. Imagine if we had the power of prayer behind us to see people transformed by the gospel so that people love their enemies. Imagine if that's the kind of change that happened in Iraq and Syria and Hungary and and whatever country of the world. It doesn't have to be uh, a, a country trapped by ISIS, but it could be any country in the world. So, what we're going to do on the 29th, 7th, 27th of May, you may have seen this on Instagram, is we're going to have a time of prayer for the nation starting next Friday. I'm going to have a sign-up sheet with different countries that you can adopt. And what we're going to do is for the next couple weeks at Youth Group, you can sign up your name to pray for that country and do your own research at home. So that when we come together on the 27th at Ocean Grove, we'll get ice cream afterwards if you want, what we'll do at Ocean Grove is for three hours, we'll come together having done all of our research and we'll get into little prayer groups of different countries and we'll pray intelligently for three hours. Now, what I found is the most difficult part about praying for countries is you never know what to pray for. Lord, I pray for Syria. Um, it seems bad there. In Jesus' name, amen. Right? Honestly. So, by you being able to adopt this country and do your own research, you can look up who the terrorist organizations are there, and disarm them with the gospel and the prayer. You can look up the churches there, look up missionaries there, look up relief organizations there, and do all your research so when we come together, we can all pray in agreement and we can know how to pray for them. And then beyond the 27th, hopefully we can just keep them in prayer all the time. Like, wouldn't that be cool? So, that's the idea. Hope you come on the 27th. It'd be awesome. Like, it'd be cool, like, I know you guys want to lock in, but it'd be cool if we had, like, 100 kids at a prayer event. Right? Like, we'll do cool things. But that's pretty cool. That'd be pretty cool. And if we got to heaven one day, and God's like, remember when you guys got together on 27th, and you all prayed for that nation? This is what happened. Like, no way. Like, Yeah, these people got saved because you prayed. That's awesome. And then you got ice cream afterwards, too. It's great. If we feel really guilty, we won't get ice cream afterwards. We'll probably get ice cream, though. <laughs> so here's the first point for tonight. I'm going to go through these points really fast. Don't worry. For us, number one, we can't become numb to those enslaved by the world. We can't become numb to those enslaved by the world. Not only does that include four nations that literally don't get the freedom to practice their faith, but that includes us here, that we are living amongst idols, People are worshiping all kinds of things that aren't God. And what we are telling them as Christians is, listen, not only is this belief wrong, but it's dangerous. It's dangerous to live a life hoping one day, like your deepest dream and deepest longing in your heart is that one day you get married. Here's why that's dangerous. Because you get married and you realize, like, that was awesome. But it wasn't enough to fulfill the deepest longing of your heart. What we're telling people is you think that finding the perfect job will make you happy. You think that. But what you find after you skip five or seven jobs and you're, you're hopping from one place to another, you don't even spend time with your family anymore because you're trying to work to find the perfect job, we're telling you that that life is a life of enslavement. There are dark entities behind these things that want you to worship them. And by worshiping These things giving them the value that they ought not to have, you actually become a slave of those things. That is the message of the gospel, that we can be free from the enslavement of the world. We think success is gonna bring us happiness. It's not. One of the best things I ever heard from a person who's not a Christian regarding rock climbing is you'll never be strong enough. And I think that's applicable for anything. You're never gonna be good enough as a singer. You're never gonna be as successful enough as a businessman, you're never going to be as artistic enough or as beautiful enough. It will never be enough. Because you can always say to yourself, there's just a little bit more. If I had just a little bit more fame, recognition, then that would be enough. And yet, there's still a part of us that still deep down inside says, yeah, yeah, I, I know, I know. But if I was at least, like at this point, that really would be enough. Like, I don't have to be as extravagant. I don't have to be famous. I don't have to- But if I just had a little bit more, That'd be enough. And it's a never-ending cycle. The second thing we see is in verse 17. It says, we're going to read to verse 20, but it says this. So therefore he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and with the Gentile worshipers and in the marketplace daily with those who happened to be there. Then certain Epicurean and Stoic philosophers encountered them, him. And some said, what does this babbler want to say? Others said, he seems to be a proclaimer of foreign gods because he preached to them Jesus and the resurrection and they took him and brought him to the Areopagus, and saying may we know what this new doctrine is of which you speak for you are bringing some strange things to our ears therefore we want to know what these things mean so these Epicurean and Stoic philosophers were interested in what Paul had to say now these two different philosophers I have to explain a little bit Epicureans their entire philosophy was hanged upon pursuing happiness That sounds familiar to us, right? Whereas the Stoics, we're just kind of like, eh, whatever happens, happens. It's just like sometimes God does good things. Well, not really God, but like the forces of the universe do good things. Sometimes they do bad things. We just have, have to accept it as fate. So here are these two different types of philosophers there, and Paul starts preaching to them, and they want to know about this new doctrine. And so for us, our second point is this. What we say about God should make people curious what we say about god should make people curious when we talk about jesus it shouldn't just be like yeah man i went to the worship concert it was rad it was really cool like okay awesome if that works for you and you're happy like some people they like still watch teletubbies great whatever makes you happy that's not what it's all about but we should be provoking interest in our people and the people that are in our lives by saying things intelligently, saying stuff like what we're talking about tonight. Like, listen, I know that you're, like, convinced that God doesn't exist. I know you're convinced that God can't exist because of evolution, but what if I told you, like, I'm not saying evolution is true, so please, all of you Genesis people, don't hate me. (laughs) But even if, even if evolution were true, it wouldn't disprove that God exists. There are some people that are theistic evolutionists. I think they're weird, but they exist. Richard Swinburne is a theistic evolutionist. He's a PhD philosopher Christian at Oxford University. One of the smartest people on planet Earth. And he's a theistic evolutionist. I don't know why he is, but he is, right? So just because you believe in evolution does not mean that God does not exist. I just think you're weird. Now, a lot of people... If you just said that to them, they're like, well, what do you mean? Because they've set in their mind those two things in in contradiction to one another. They can't believe in God because Christians don't believe in evolution. What if you started the conversation by like, okay, let's talk about does God exist, and then we can talk about evolution. And then you can show them that it's silly. It's All of it silly. Okay? But let's start off with belief in God first. And by saying things intelligently, it gives people food for thought. Here's the next thing is we see that Paul actually addressed what they worshiped in verse 22. So this is what he he, he does. He says in verse 22, Then Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are very religious. Always good to compliment people before you tear down their religion. For as I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. Therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing him, I proclaim... To you, So they basically in these days, you may already know this, in their culture, they had like so many gods they worshiped that just in case they missed one, they just kind of put an altar and said, to the unknown God. And Paul used that as an opportunity to talk about their, the God they didn't know, the one that is Jesus Christ. And so our third point is this, we need to know what people in our culture believe. We need to know what, our, what the people in our culture believe. Otherwise, we're going to be always answering questions that nobody is asking. Maybe evolution is not a hang-up for somebody. And yet all we do is get in debates about evolution versus creationism. And people are just tired of it. So what if we actually, like, like, hey, what is it that you believe? Like, man, I think, I think all of us, like, when we die, we're all just going to become, like, one with the universe. Like, what do you mean one with the universe? Like, actually talk about it. Like, how do you know that's true? I just have this feeling deep down inside of my heart. Well, you know, a lot of people believe Christianity, that can't be true. Like, okay. Right? So as actually talk to people about what it is that they believe and address them on their terms. And this is what Paul does. He says, I think you're, I see that you're pretty religious, right? You have this alternative to the unknown God. And I'm going to tell you about that unknown God that you don't know. The next thing we see in verse 29. I'm going to try to go faster but let's actually read verse 24 and we'll be done don't worry God who made the world and everything in it since he is Lord of heaven and earth does not dwell in temples made with hands like I'm sure this is mind-blowing to them he says don't you think like if God existed that he wouldn't live inside of a house if he made the entire universe why would he just hang out in your house He doesn't live in a a temple made with hands, nor, in verse 25, is he worshiped with men's hands as though he needed anything, since he gives to all life, breath, and all things. See, they believed that they could appease the gods, and by appeasing gods, the gods would do nice things for them. And Paul's basically saying, like, why do you think if God created everything, that he actually needs you to do anything? He's like, oh, man, I just created the entire universe out of nothing. But now I'm like broke. Dude, can I borrow some money from you? Like, God is not broke. He made everything out of nothing. Why does he need any, He doesn't need anything from you. Verse 26, And he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth and has determined their pre-appointed times and boundaries of their dwellings so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grow for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being As also some of your poets have said, for we are also his offspring. Therefore, we are the offspring of God. We ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, something shaped by art and man's devising. So Paul's quoting their own poets, their own philosophers, and saying like, it's basically their contemporary music of the day and saying like, I know this is what you're longing for. This is what you're hoping for. But actually you're missing something that's bigger and more significant as to the thing that you're looking for, and let me show you what it is. Point number four is this. We need to show the holes in what people believe. Not only do we have to create curiosity in people, provoke interest, but then we actually, once they're interested, poke holes and point them out, show people. Hey, listen, this thing that you believe in, like, it doesn't work. Let me show you why. It's so important That we're not so afraid of being offensive that we never speak out and tell people, like, what you're believing is dangerous and this is why. And this is what we're going to be learning through this entire series. Is learning where other people may have been mistaken and where we can bring Jesus so that they can find true fulfillment that's only found in him. Lastly, we find this. Verse 30, truly these times of ignorance... God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent, because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. He has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, while others said, we will hear you again on this matter. So Paul departed from among them. However, some men joined him and believed. Among them, Dionysus the Arapagite, a woman named Demarius, and others with them. So Lastly, what you see is some people rejected the message, others believed. Some people mocked. So that's ridiculous. And some people will mock you for believing what you believe. But lastly, the last one we're going to go over tonight is this. We are not responsible for the results. We're responsible to proclaim the message. You and I, our job is not to convert people. Our job is not to change people. It's just to give people the truth. And it's up to them whether or not They want to believe it. But how many of us are missing out on an opportunity to bring that new life into somebody else because we're afraid? So where this links to everything that we talked about in the beginning, many of you, if not next year because you're a senior, eventually you'll come to the point where you're going to have to ask yourself, is what I believe currently true or false? You're going to have to come to a time and place where you discuss those things. And hopefully, in the upcoming weeks, as, as we examine each and every topic, you'll see like, all right, I may not wanna believe in God, but I can't deny the fact that God actually exists. And these are the reasons why, because they've been ingrained in my brain. Not to say you're a robot, not to say we're trying to convince you one thing or another, I'm just saying like, if God exists, everything else is false, that's opposed to God, that's contradictory to God. Which means that it doesn't matter how you dress it up, you're going to point out it's a wolf in sheep's clothing. So for us, our job is just to point that out. So like, very nice, looks like a sheep, not really though because it's a wolf in sheep's clothing. And what Paul did is he did it with grace, he did it with gentleness, but he did it with the background that he had in training all of his life. He knew the scriptures and he also knew the contemporary language so he was able to speak directly to the topics of our culture. So let's pray. Lord, we pray that in the upcoming weeks, we know that you would love to see your church to not just be on the sidelines, Lord, and not to just once in a while talk about you, but to live lives that are glorifying to you, Lord. And I know since you've convicted me of this, Lord, it's so easy to be distracted with our personal needs and miss out on the fact that there's an entire world out there that is dying for lack of the knowledge of you. And we pray, Lord, that you would stir us up. You'd be with us, Lord, fill us with your Holy Spirit so we can communicate the simple truth of the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen.